I think oftentimes we can walk away from social media thinking, hey, I've, I've had this exchange with, you know, X number of people or whatever, and, and believe that I'm, I'm in this conversation when in point of fact, you're not the best place to have these kinds of conversations. And the, the more contentious they are, the, the more important it is that we're having this across the dinner table and uh, we're having this in our local churches. But of course, that also requires that we have churches that create spaces to have the conversations. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Thabiti Anyabwile. Thabiti serves as a pastor at Anacostia River Church in Washington, D.C., a council member of the Gospel Coalition, and a lead writer for Nine Marks. He's also the author of a number of books, including What is a Healthy Church Member? with Crossway. Today, Thabiti and I discuss the value and benefits of local church membership. We talk through what the Bible really teaches about the idea of formal membership, what he'd say to those who feel like they've been hurt by the institutional church, and how to work through areas of doctrinal, practical, and even political disagreement with other people in your church. Let's get started. Tabidi, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crossway Podcast. It's a joy to be with you, brother. Thank you for having me. So can you briefly share your own story? Uh, How was it that you came to Saving Faith? And what was your first experience of the church like as a new Christian? Well, I grew up in a nominally Christian household uh, down south where everybody's a Christian, even if they've never been to a church. And um, that was that was almost my situation. We went to church at Christmas and Easter and things of that sort, but not much in between. Uh, I think that the most um, lasting impression of the church in those years for me was the fact that when my older brothers got into trouble from time to time, they would go to church and kind of get themselves together, so mm-hmm. to speak. So church was a little bit like rehab. It's where you went when the <laughs> trouble was really bad. Um, and and that happened to me after my sophomore year in high school. I got into trouble. First time I'd ever been into trouble. Didn't quite know what to do. And almost instinctively decided to go to church, to this little church full of, full of good people, um, sweet people in my little town there. But the church itself wasn't particularly clear on the gospel. And so I attended there for a couple of months and went off to college and at college converted to Islam and uh, became a, a fairly zealous Muslim for a number of years until my wife and I miscarried. And um, in the aftermath of that miscarriage, I was in something of a depression at home and turned on television to watch some rap videos. And uh, this television preacher came on and he was preaching verse by verse through Second Timothy at the, at the time. And it was like someone had rewritten the Bible. God started drawing me by his word. Long story short, we found out where his church was, visited that church. And that Sunday morning, he preached an exposition of Exodus 32. And in God's kindness, my wife and I both were converted under the preaching of the gospel. Hmm. And my experience in that church really would lay the, the pathway for much of my Christian life to follow. Because unlike the previous church, they were very careful with the gospel. Not only was it clear in the sermon, but uh, those who responded to the, the altar call, they took to a room and and met with one-on-one and just counseled very patiently walking through the gospel again. And then they made sure I understood the gospel and was repentant and put in my faith in Christ and exhorted us to find a 
Bible preaching church. When we got back to North Carolina, we were visiting the church here in D.C. So when we got back to North Carolina, that's what we did. And uh, my impressions of the church at that point was that it was absolutely vital to my spiritual life, thanks to the counsel of that that church where we were converted. And um, God has been really kind to give me a love for the local church from that moment on. What would you say to the maybe the Christian, someone who grew up in the church, grew up in a, maybe it was an okay church, maybe it wasn't a very healthy church, and they maybe just feel a little bit burnt out on the church. They feel like, I don't really know why I need this group of people that often uh, feels dysfunctional and they're often sitting against each other. It kind of feels unnecessary and even maybe holding me back in my walk. Uh, Isn't it enough to come to Scripture and to God in prayer and to have good friends but not really be part of a church? What would you say to that person? Oh, man, I think first I just want to commiserate with them a little bit. I mean, I I think uh, most of us have been there uh, and had some experience like that. We've certainly had dry seasons in our spiritual lives, and sometimes that's been connected to the the people of God, at, at least in our perception of things. And so I, I, first, I just want to commiserate. Been, been there. I uh, feel like I've, I've had that experience. Uh, even, even as a pastor, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not immune to that as a pastor. Um, and so I want to be empathetic. But then I, then I'd want to say a couple of other things. Number, number one, I'd want to give a direct answer to the question of, can I just go along, go about the Christian life without the church? Well, not if you want to be a biblical Christian. Um, the, the only plan that God has, plan A, for our discipleship and for our growth in Christ, according to Ephesians 4, for example, uh, and 1 Corinthians 12, is the local church. And God doesn't have a plan B. So we are members of, of Christ's body. That, that spiritual union with him is meant to be reflected uh, physically and practically in our uniting together with other believers. And again, according to Ephesians 4, that's how God's grace sort of flows to us through the exercise of the various gifts in the body. We, we receive grace and are built up and are strengthened and, and are also sanctified. So the other thing I would want to say is the ways in which other Christians may hold you back or discourage you or anger you are actually God's hands sanctifying you. Hmm. And you can be sure, and I can be sure, that we're posing those same problems for other Christians too, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 meeting each other in our rough spots that we we sometimes sand off the rough spots and and become more polished and smooth and complete and Christ-like uh, as Christians. And um, God doesn't have any other plan for that than than the local church. And then finally, what I would say is that we are kidding ourselves. If we think being out in the world apart from God's people is somehow better or safer than being inside of God's people where we experience these difficulties. I mean, the the great difference is, I think, if you're in a a church that's, you know, clear about the gospel and serious about growth and sanctification, is that everybody in that church knows that they're imperfect and, and are cooperating together to grow in Christ. Um, and, and again, if it's a godly church, they're honest about that, Mm. but, but in the world, you you don't find that kind of honesty. Um, you don't find the same resources in the gospel for, for healing and reconciliation and truth telling and, and growth. And so I think it's a pretty serious mistake to think that, okay, things are bad here inside the church, 
let me go outside the church where things are better. Well, they're not better outside the church. And uh, I think many a Christian have have um, pierced themselves with a lot of pain uh, coming to discover that slowly um, through the through the allurement of the world. Yeah, you know, our, our culture today is pretty skeptical of authority. And I could imagine someone listening to us right now who's maybe had the experience of being hurt by the church, and not just the church broadly, other individual Christians, but by leaders in the church. And perhaps leaders have uh, used God's Word even uh, to justify their actions or to justify the, the pain they've caused people. You know, what word of encouragement would you offer to that person who, who maybe feels afraid of the idea of committing him or herself to a church and submitting themselves under the authority of leaders there? Yeah, what a great question. And it's another it's another situation where I think we we first just want to lament, right? Because those things are are not meant to be. They they oughtn't be. Um they, they are a, a consequence of the fall and of sin, uh which is in the world and in in church members and uh in church leaders and authority which is meant to be married to love uh is in fact often wielded in selfish, abusive, um, devastating kinds of ways. And so I, I think the first thing I would want to say is um, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I, I, I well recognize that that's a, that's a reality and experience for a lot of Christians. Um, but then I would, I, would, I would want to encourage the person, perhaps in a couple of ways, one is I, I want to encourage the people, the, the person to speak more specifically about the source of their hurt. Because when we say, you know, the church has hurt me, well, we're generalizing and, and universalizing in a way that's likely not true. Hmm. Actually, it's probably a particular Christian or a couple of Christians or a particular leader or a couple of leaders that have hurt us. And I, and I think part of the path back to healing is not only declaring the hurt, but also really assigning the the sort of culpability and responsibility more specifically, and 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 what that I, I think helps us to do is to recognize that no, not everybody who names the name of Christ is is against me or attempting to hurt me. In fact, that that would not be true of ninety nine point nine nine percent of the church world, and 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 that realizing that opens us up a little bit to the possibility that maybe what I need to do is find a different church not be under that leadership or, or find different Christian friends. Um, and that requires hope, which I want to encourage. Um, and that's a hope that we want to uh, express, not primarily in other Christians, but in Christ himself, right? Um, and uh, believing that Christ has kept his promise not to leave us nor forsake us and believing that he's building his church and believing that he is working in his church by his spirit um, and and by degree, by small step, through faith in Christ, expressing that faith by attempting to love and be loved by another set of Christians, mm. um, and and that's a real that 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 has real promise and real hope. It doesn't feel like it in the midst of our pain, and if we if we magnify our pain rather than grace, then it will be very difficult to think that that's possible or or should be risked. But um, it is the kind of risk that opens us up to growth and flourishing 
And that the avoidance of this particular risk actually has a way of constricting our hearts, constricting our relationships, and suffocating us. And I think I'd want to, if it were a person in my church, I'd, I'd want to take a long time just walking through those things, helping them to see that in some measure. But, but Christ is in his church and he's at work, and we can trust him. Um, and, and trusting him does not lead to disappointment, um, e- even if it leads us through um, suffering and pain. So as a pastor, as you think about membership in your church, how important is it for members in the church to have uh, agreement and maybe even uniformity on different issues? So whether those might be theological doctrines that uh, the church would espouse together or even political leanings or views on different uh, social issues, what level of agreement on different types of issues are required for maintaining a healthy, unified church body? Well, I think it's going to depend upon the issue. Uh, a few years back, our brother Al Mohler wrote an excellent piece on theological triage. And and that's basically this idea that, for example, just to use the illustration, if you, one went to the hospital, the first thing in the emergency room that they do is kind of triage. They want to get the most life-threatening, urgent uh, issues addressed first, then sort of secondarily, you know, some serious issues, but not necessarily life-threatening. And then finally, you know, the little boy's got a, a, a boo-boo on his knee, the, the, the non-serious, non-life-threatening. And I think we want to do that with um, theological and biblical issues as well. There are some issues that are first-order issues that, unless we agree on them, we're not actually talking about historic Christianity. Uh, and so that's, the, that's God, that he's triune. That's Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, that he was crucified, buried, and resurrected as an atonement for our sins and justification for us. Um, you know, so we want to get those first order issues in place um, and and agree on those completely. And for most churches, that's going to be summed up in their statement of faith. And this is why you want to look for a church that has a good statement of faith and, and why you want to be sure that they believe and preach and practice their statement of faith. And so those are the primary issues uh, about which we must be agreed or we're not actually talking about the same religion. Mm. Now, there are secondary issues that are important, but uh, Christians of good conscience actually have different views on. And I guess the classic bellwether example of that might be baptism. So my Presbyterian brother and I who believe the same gospel, we're, we're united in the gospel and we're united in Christ. But now how we understand and how we practice baptism is a secondary matter compared to the gospel, compared to the nature of God and how we're saved. But it's still an important matter. It's still a biblical matter. We're both reading our Bibles. We're arriving at different conclusions. Uh, and it's one of those issues that that really kind of necessitates that we be in different churches. You know, one where he practices infant baptism and I practice credo baptism so that we're not arguing every week about baptism <laughs> and we can continue to cooperate, you know, in the gospel and, and in the main things. And so you got secondary matters like that. And then finally, you have um, matters indifferent, right? Things that uh, two Christians can disagree on. They should receive each other in in charity and in love. Uh, and the disagreement is of no consequence, really, to anything um, important in the faith. So I, I think the Golden State Warriors are right now the best team in pro basketball. Uh, somebody else may answer the San Antonio Spurs. 
Uh, well, we can disagree on that with, with perfectly clean consciences. There's no matter of sin or um, major doctrine involved. It's a matter of opinion. And I think most of the things that, that divide and create consternation in the church um, among professing Christians are in that second and most often that third category. Mm. And the mistake we make is we treat second and third category issues as if they're first category issues, right? Well, why do you think we do that? Why are we so prone to uh, elevate these second and third order issues to this primary status and then divide over it? I, I think that um, our primary language, our, our natural language as fallen human beings is law. So we're all prone to legalism. Uh, and the, the new language, the language of Zion that we have to learn is the language of grace. And that's a second language for us. And we don't we don't speak it fluently, you know, first off. We've got to grow in that language and and the ability to communicate it. Um, and, and so part of the part of it is simply a sanctification issue. There, there's just growth that has to be that, that, that has to be undergone. The, the other problem is, I think, connected with a lot of our legalisms. Our, our power and fear. And so a, a lot of times people will justify uh, something that's a, a matter of their own personal conscience and conviction, which is not meant to bind the conscience and conviction of others. They, they, will, they will justify that binding others to their conscience by saying, well, I'm afraid that if they did this thing, which they're perfectly free to do, it's going to end up over here in this other thing. And so it's a kind of fear-based, fear-motivated response to Christian freedom. Or you got other folks who just, you know, they they like control, and uh, they 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 think of unity in a church primarily in terms of uniformity, of of conforming to, uh, again, their sense of how things ought to be in those secondary and, and more more to the point tertiary issues, um, and and so. You know, they, they're misunderstanding what unity looks like in the body of Christ, uh, and they're misapplying uh, authority or power in order to coerce others. And um, sometimes that's unintentional, sometimes that's quite intentional. But in either case, I think it's unbiblical, according to Romans 14 and 15. We ought to be more careful to preserve freedom, even as we are careful to use our freedom or not to use our freedom to cause others injury. Hmm. Yeah, just building on that, as you reflect on the church broadly. And so I am, I'm asking you to generalize here, admittedly. Uh, but do you think uh, Christians should be more prone than we are currently to lovingly, graciously, as you've said, discuss these differences of opinion on things? Or do we need less, less of that and maybe more just bearing with each other and not making, are we making too big a deal of these issues? And the answer is just to bring them to the fore less often. I think where I most hear that is on sort of political topics, what or what some people will call political topics. We we don't even quite have a common definition of what we mm. how we define what is or isn't political. And and from my perspective, I think what's happened as the sort of prevailing philosophy has been let's talk less about such things and not not really uh, risk any division. I think that that's well intended. But I think the consequence of that has been a certain de-skilling of the church. So we have not, as a consequence of that, grown in our ability to understand and handle and practice Christian freedom, for example. 
and the iron sharpening benefit that comes from loving, gracious conversation about places where we differ, um, that, that iron sharpening sort of prospect or grace has also been lost in, in many quarters. And so what happens is when, when sort of major things flare up, in the culture, in the life of the church, we, we find ourselves unable to talk about these things, um, lacking an ability, even when we want to. Um, and I think that's actually had its own set of consequences for the church. So I'm, I'm kind of a fan of, uh, and people here at the church with whom we say this sometimes, is I, I want to be, I want us to be the congregation that can have the conversation. Mm. And when I say that, I'm not committing us to a particular outcome in the conversation when we're in those sort of um, third order issues in particular. Um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to commit us to is precisely what you spoke to a moment ago, a, a certain kind of spirit and dis, dis, disposition of generosity and kindness and patience and listening uh, in order to understand and to communicate and to grow that process and that ability to communicate, I think, is is pretty foundational to a deep unity rather than just a uniformity. Yeah, and it strikes me that maybe part of the problem that we've been facing uh, when it comes to discussing these difficult issues has been that so much of it happens online. And we think of you know this mm. online social media sphere as the primary locus of the conversation. And when, when you think about actually discussing these things with a real person that's often almost an afterthought and you know we've we've ripped these conversations out of the context of true in-person face-to-face christian community uh, do you feel like that that is part of the issue and how can the local church serve as that place of uh working on these things together and and seeking more not necessarily uniformity but true gospel unity Yes, I, I do think that's part of the issue. It's it's funny. Social media is is ironically named, right? Mm. Because it often isn't very social. Um, and and even when you are having quote unquote conversations with people on social media, it's disembodied. You know, it, there's a there's it, it sort of absents you from your local context. And uh, I think oftentimes we can walk away from social media thinking, hey, I've, I've had this exchange with, you know, X number of people or whatever, um, and and believe that I'm, I'm in this conversation when in point of fact, you're not, not with anybody of consequence in your local life, right? Um, and and that's a problem. That that's a that's a significant problem. And so, um, I think that the best place to have these kinds of conversations, and the, the more contentious they are, uh, or potentially contentious they are, uh, the the more important it is that we're having this across the dinner table, and uh, we're having this in our local churches, and uh, with, with people we actually know, and who know us, and who can listen to us in context of that knowledge. Mm. And uh, that, that's just that's just really important. But of course, that also requires that we have churches that create spaces to have the conversations. Um, and I think a lot of people are driven to social media, in part, and, and I don't I don't know how vicious a sort of cycle this is, but uh, I, I got to think that some people are driven to social media in part because they're not finding these conversations locally, right? And and they are meeting with um, anything ranging from indifference to uh, hostility in, in their local gatherings. Uh, if, if the gathering has been prizing a certain kind of 
uniformity and a certain kind of quietude uh, about these things in the, in the name of unity. Um, and so people are casting about looking for that kind of, of conversation. And so it's, it's, it's sad when, when the substitute becomes social media because social media is often uh, a, a lousy context hmm. for doing this very personal uh, this very personal discovery and work. Yeah, and I can imagine a lot of pastors who desire to help foster some of these conversations, but I could see there being a, a significant element of fear. Just if I open this door and provide uh, some kind of venue for in-person conversation, where might that lead? What might happen? People might get angry. What encouragement or advice would you offer to pastors who uh, want to cultivate, again, even more broadly, just a a community that is willing to engage each other on hard issues, but with love and with grace and with the gospel binding them together? Um, number one, make it a matter of prayer. Pray about it in the public services. Uh, pray about it in your, in your private uh, prayer life. Um, talk to God before you talk to man, right? And um, num- number two, um, teach and equip the congregation with resources that, that help them to have the conversation. I mean, just for example, I love the resources of, of Peacemaker Ministries and, and Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. Um, wonderful resources for thinking through conflict and how to resolve it biblically and, um, you know, teach from the scriptures. Um, Philippians, Paul says, help Eodian and Syntyche to agree together. You know, take those kinds of texts. Talk, talk about Paul and Barnabas having a sharp split. Make, make, it, make it normal in people's expectation of the Christian life that there's going to be conflict, even with brothers and sisters. So they're not surprised when there's, when there's disagreement or, or conflict, right? We're not plastic people. Um, and, and so we, we just need to give people a sense of the real life of things. Uh, and when you've done that teaching and hopefully modeled that yourself uh, as a pastor, have courage, you know, set up the conversations. You're, you're leading the people. Um, this is not going to be a train that just runs away from you with, with your other elders and, and leaders. Pray and think carefully about, well, how might we structure a panel discussion on a, you know, night where we normally have Bible study or a special, a special event or something. And, um, and, and in that panel, what questions are we going to ask? Who are we going to tap to be a part of that from our congregation who we can trust in front of the whole congregation to be edifying and spiritually minded? Um, th- these are things that can be done. And, and I trust most pastors are, are able to do. Uh, just requires a little forethought. And um, with all things, lead with teaching. So I, I've noticed on Twitter, you occasionally post pictures of uh, gatherings that looks like dinner with guys in your church. Uh, what, what role do sharing meals together play in the life of your community? Yeah, those are, those are pictures from my Monday night uh, men's small group. Um, we meet for about two hours, and in the first hour, my, my wife is is the chef, and we're all sous chefs. She's teaching um, teaching guys how to cook there as part of their discipleship <laughs> and part of our sort of bonding together. And so we cook, and then we eat what we cook, and so far nobody's you know, died of food poisoning. Uh, and then we opened the scriptures and uh, read and, and study the scriptures together. Uh, you know, meals have a way of, of, of knitting the heart together. Uh, and, and the act of cooking together is a, is a family-like act, right? Uh, and so from sharing the meal and preparing the meal, 
Um, we, we, are, we sort of derive these opportunities to encourage each other, catch up on each other's day, serve each other and care for each other in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, and, and all good cooking is done in love. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a communication of love that goes on uh, in, that, in that activity together. And we're trying to build, as it were, uh, a family. That's the that's not just a metaphor for the local church. That that's that's what the local church is. Mm. It it is in fact a family, God's household, God's adopted people. And so we want our lives to look not liturgical in the sort of cold, stodgy, um, scripted sense in which people might hear that word. Um, we want our lives together to look familial. We want it to to look like the living room and the kitchen. Um, and so we, we try to encourage members of the church to, to, to do that together in small groups and hospitality and so on, because we're, we're meant to be a family. Yeah. As you think about those times that you've spent together with those guys, have there been any surprising results that came from just that amount of time and the quality of that time that you're spending together? I don't know. Well, maybe I don't, I don't know if surprising is the right adjective, but I'll tell you what I've, I've really appreciated. Um, and it goes back to your previous question. In that group, there are people across the political divide and some folks who could care less. <laughs> and in that group are people from really different sort of cultural and generational backgrounds. Uh, and what's been really lovely is I think that time together has fostered friendships across boundaries that, um, you know, where they sort of left to you know, not have that kind of time together may, may never have formed. Um, and so there are friendships that are developing, sort of praying and caring for each other, rejoicing when another when a brother gets engaged or another brother gets a new job, um, seeing answers to prayer. So so family is forming in that time and it's forming uh, across the kinds of, of um, potential differences uh, or divisions that that really would trouble churches. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's been the seedbed of a lot of unity, uh, and a lot of love and, and, and mutual, mutual affirmation. And I pray that it would be, uh, more so as, as the day of Christ approaches. That resonates with just the, the simple fact that sometimes the best thing that we can do is just spend time with each other. There's no substitute for just time spent with another Christian, uh, face to face doing something together not always, uh, sometimes we maybe feel the, the pressure to make every moment spent with someone from church uh, this very spiritual, intense time where we're in prayer or studying the Bible the entire time. But really there's value in just being together as a family, as you say. Yeah, that, that's so well put. I couldn't put it better. I, I think I mean, part of our, our own ministry philosophy here is, is your most basic sort of ministry as a member is to get to know and to love other members. Right. And and that's not that's not normally done best through programs. I mean, there's some programs that can help uh, and some strategies that can foster. Uh, but but we like to just sort of encourage lingering with each other uh, over a meal, in conversation, uh, out exercising, serving in the community. Um, and, and so just to have unscripted, unhurried time. Uh, number one is a real gift from God. Uh, but number two, also sort of fosters relationships and family in a way that, you know, an appointed program at this day and hour generally doesn't. Mm. 
Well, Thabiti, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today and, and just share some of your own wisdom and experience as a pastor and as a Christian. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Brother, it was a great joy. Thank you for the opportunity, and I pray the Lord blesses your, your labors. That was Thabiti Anyabwile on the importance of church membership. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, What is a Healthy Church Member? available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.